Welcome back to another week of Girls Talk Ag Podcast, plowing through the manure online. Uh, this week, we are going to tackle uh, probably one of the larger uh, issues or one of the, the bigger developments that we've had in uh, agriculture since the start of this illustrious podcast, and that is Cargill jumping in bed um with the non-GMO project. So many of you are aware um, and may not quite be aware that it was last October that Cargill first announced this partnership or this project uh, with the non-GMO product uh, project, excuse me, um, working towards verification of their non-GMO product products because um, Cargill, of course, is is one of the multifaceted ag con- companies with uh, both working directly with farmers on the production side and working with consumers on the ingredient and product side. Um, so back in October, they announced that they were going to work with the non-GMO project to verify um, their products, but really no one paid much attention to it until about March 17th uh, when they announced that they were very excited about this um joint venture or this partnership and that they couldn't wait to do more with the company. And basically within about two to three days, all hell broke loose. Um, and some farmers have, have come out or some, some in ag have come out and said, why the, what's the big deal? Um, Cargill has free choice to work with whomever they want. And many will agree in that. Um, but there's some real concern out there with who the non-GMO project is and what that could mean going forward. So this week we're going to chat about, uh, Cargill and the non-GMO project, what that could mean, um, or what that means going forward and why there is some concern with them working together. I welcome back my awesome partners in crime karen and jen hey. hello guys hello 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 so let's dive in head first because who uh wants to uh you know skate around the edges on this karen why the big fuss who is the non-gmo project um and uh why do we have concerns that our buddies at cargill are working very closely with them well the non-gmo project verified is you know the fastest growing label with natural product industry. So basically they label everything that is non-GMO, whether it has a potential to be GMO or not, they still label it non-GMO. I think part of the, let's just call it what it was, it's cargo storm, was because the tweet came out at 8.02 on Monday morning of what is considered National Agriculture Week. So it wasn't just, hey, we're doing this, it's, you know, kind of in your face, even though we know this is kind of the week to celebrate agriculture. So I don't think there was a lot of forethought in whoever sent the tweet or whoever was involved with, you know, rolling out the whole shenanigans for it. Um, I I clearly should have seen that something was not going to go right when they put that tweet out. Well, I think part of it comes down to is, do they have an agency doing their social media or is it in-house too? Either way, somebody needs to uh, be slapped upside the head because that was... They should have had the forethought to see, particularly in National Ag Week, and knowing that so many farmers are on Twitter, that that was not going to go over very well. Well, I think it's important to point out that one of the reasons that someone should be slapped upside the head or or the reason that there is the the panties twisted, so to speak, is that the non-GMO project, the, its board members and, and the people that have they have on their staff, have made it very clear that they want GMOs to to basically be eradicated. They're not in um they're not there for for both or they're they're not open to to both types they're of not production. Pro-choice. They're not exactly. pro-choice. 
Yeah. Right. And so how do you, you know, have your products verified by this organization knowing that the other half of your business, they completely vilify? I mean, I think that's the problem. You can't go both ways on an issue like this. I think who who is the one who had the comment about selling ammo to both sides of the Civil War? Lawrence McLaughlin from yeah, Ontario. I mean, that's basically what you're doing. I mean, that's that was a really good analogy. And it was the most... Uh, clean one I could think of, you know, that I had seen because the ones in my head weren't very clean. But is Cargill half and half? I mean, how much of their how how much of their sourcing is non-GMO? I'm really not sure what makes up. They, they I their product division is relatively large. Ingredients, right. um, things of that feed. nature. I, yeah, feed um the the food product the consumer driven market structure I think is a very large component of their business um, you know I I imagine it and I don't I haven't looked at the exact numbers but I imagine it as a, a leg to a tripod where it's like grain feed uh, food food products ingredients something of that nature and then it might actually be one of the larger components of their their business structure overall perhaps and and that's what Cargill is saying is that their consumers have been requesting this verification pro- process to to take place then you have to wonder how many of their consumers are we talking two that are loud and obnoxious or are we talking you know a large group of people well from what i've seen when i've asked about different products and i have friends you know who are in ag and who aren't in ag who are in cities and and things like that and I've never non-GMO has never been something that they look for, right? Yeah, I've I think we discussed that um, you know three weeks ago, really. When it comes down to it, the the bulk of people that we know of or that we've talked to from a consumer standpoint, GMO or non-GMO has not really driven their their purchase needs or their their purchase decisions. Now, Cargill will tell you the opposite, and maybe we're just not talking to the right people. Um, but when it comes down to it as well, uh, the amount of, of GMOs in your everyday food system is, is relatively limited. So um, to be verifying or labeling products that they have no um, ability to even be genetically modified it goes back to every discussion that we've had or, or the discussion two weeks ago in the second part of our GMO OMG podcast that you can listen to when you're done with this episode. Um, you know, the label, is it is it driven by true consumer demand or is it li- driven by um, wanting to create fear of our food system in a, well, certain, to a certain extent? Karen, you told me how many products have the the label on them. What was it? Forty three thousand. More than forty three thousand. Okay, so of those products, it'd be interesting to find out how many could possibly even have a GMO in them. Well, someone just posted a picture on Twitter of their shredded wheat, one hundred percent wheat and bran, uh, and it has a label on it. So, and yeah. there's no, and I believe the orange no juice. We had talked about before the orange juice has a non-GMO verified label on it also. Yes. Yep. The orange juice, um, there's uh, all kinds of things that I've seen that have it. Of course, I'm looking around my office right now. I find it funny when you look at um, their frequently asked questions page, you know, it asks how much it costs. And it says it depends on how many products and what is in those products. It requires a greater scrutiny if you have some high risk ingredients, which include... You know, obviously corn or soybeans, and it has listed also alfalfa, 
canola, cotton, papaya, sugar beets, yellow summer squash, and then animal products and microbes and enzymes. So I'm guessing if you want to verify that a strawberry is non-GMO verified, it should be a lot cheaper than if you wanted to do a box of cornflakes. Yeah. I mean, that's if you're talking animal products and enzymes, does that mean my... It means the enzymes you use to make your cheese have to be, um, cannot be a, a enzyme that can be genetically modified. Oh, good lord! Yeah, there's a whole list if you go into the animal products, and um, it it details out very much everything on their actual website. Now, the discussion we had before, and again, I'm pulling facts out of my ass. Once these, once some of those products are processed coming down to what might be in it that's a GMO that after it's been processed so many times is almost virtually impossible to tell. Did well, I Jen, up? that's why they don't actually test finished products because right. that's not a reliable source. So they only test the initial products that go into the final product. And the other thing I find that's pretty funny is one of the their frequently asked questions is, um, are, bearing, are products bearing the non-GMO project verified seal GMO-free? And they say no, because similar claims are not legally or scientifically defensible due to the limitations of testing methodology. Well, then how can you even use a label if your testings are limited? If you really can't claim that it is non-GMO and have it hold up in court, does it really... So basically, the non-GMO verified only suggests that it is up to their proposed standards. It's It doesn't mean it's GMO-free. Right. And that's and you and should it, be tr- you should consider their um, label trustworthy is what it says. Well, and that's that brings me to my my next point or or the next point of discussion here is who determines the verification process. So that's what's interesting about this is Cargill will claim that they're the only one and they are the only one. The non GMO project is the only one that's established a verification process that is trusted or. Um, independent of outside industry, it's it's independent of, of agriculture, which I find funny because you look at the board of directors and each one of them are involved in organic or non-GMO production, agriculture, or business. They they now, devil's advocate here, but they're they're promoting their own product. Exactly. But to promote your own product by tearing another one down, because they will very much claim um, you know, that the, uh, they're, they're basically a GMO avoidance. That's what they're, they're trying to do. Um, I have a quote in here, non-GMO product projects, official position is there's no scientific evidence of the safety of GMOs, but both the national academics of science, engineering, and medicine and the American medical association say GMO GM crops no pose no more risk to human health than that of any other crop. So that's on their site. That's on their site. Not the National Academics of Sciences, but the the official position, the no scientific evidence of safety of GMOs. So they work to to basically claim that it is an unsafe food source um, in a way to help benefit the companies that they they run, well, basically. I, you know, if you look at their site, their mission statement, and, and if you read it, it just says, quote, to educate consumers in the food industry to help build awareness about GMOs and their impact on our health. I mean, if you're a consumer who doesn't know, I don't want to say you don't know anything because consumers aren't stupid, but, you know, 
that seems fairly mundane. Why why wouldn't you be interested in that if it's your food? Well, yeah. And it's easy to to look at it from a thousand feet away and think, okay, right. well that's you know, right. they that they're seems... here they're here for me, you know. But right. the what's interesting is one board member actively worked to introduce countywide bans of GM GM crop production in, in California. Um, cause there's six or seven counties in California that will not allow genetically modified crops to be produced in open air, um, atmospheres. And another was the lead plaintiff in the class action lawsuit against Monsanto, um, claiming GMO crops were unsafe and, and Monsanto was trying to illegally control the market in 1999. Um, that same board member says the threat of GM crops threatens the integrity of the functioning ecosystem and must be stopped. So, oh wow, that's that's a pretty bold statement. Exactly, and so that's Especially what leads us. No proof. Exactly, it, you know, and and so that's where the concern has developed. Um, but the struggle that we have right now is if there is a loud contingency of consumers out there requesting or requiring um, that their products are verified as as non GMO, and we've allowed this group to be the one that basically has been in the forefront of the verification process and and stepped in and to the point of where now they're the only third-party verification system out there, It what do we do? Is it too late? Is the horse out of the barn? Because if there is a consumer group that wants their wants to, to maintain a, a non-GMO food choice, I'm, I totally support choice. I have no problem with that. If, if you feel your family, you know, if, if you feel there is, is not safety, though I, you know, I question it because obviously I, I feel it's very safe and, and science has proven it's very safe. But for consumers I, I out there who part don't. Of that comes down to affordability, too. I mean, if that's where yeah. you want to spend your money, I have no problem with that. Go for it. But don't limit everyone else's choice. Yeah. Um, and also don't, like you say, vilify that GMOs are bad. You personally don't want to eat them. That doesn't mean you should make others feel guilty when there is no proof. Exactly. And that's, so the question is, how do we introduce a, another third-party verification system? You know, could Cargill have, instead of proceeding with this group that they did, would it have not made more sense for them to maybe approach ADM, who has not sought verification of any of their their products, or some of the other groups who have started working with the non-GMO, because Cargill's not the only one. Bungie, CHS, um, Glencore, which is, uh, I think, Viterra, is how you say that. They all work with the group on verification as well. They just haven't come out and been loud about their support of this third-party system. So do we bring the government in, as we do with organic, or what do we do... That I found interesting was, um, you know, the non-GMO project verified kind of defaults to the USDA organic certification. So they say that that's one of the best steps that you can take is to get that certification. So in that case, if you have USDA certified organic, you don't really need the non-GMO project because they're deferring to it um, on their website. As the, the organic certification, because all they offer when it comes to verification, and this is how it works, we have to verify um, that our crops, because we work with non-GMO and we have an identity preserved um, 
IP program, Identity Preserved Non-GMO Food Grade Soybean Program, where we clean and process our own beans and send them overseas or send them into the soy milk or whatever it may be in their non-GMO. And step one of the the verification process is is how many acres each grower grows because we we can IP them right back down to the farmer. And then you you basically go through where was it planted, what was planted near it, what was sprayed on it, you know what where was it stored? Where was it stored? Um, it's all grower. Basically, it's it's the you know Scouts Honor, um, right system. The test and cargo had the same type of thing with their known origins. They do, process. yes, yeah. Yeah, I go, I go back to this story all the time. We grew non-GMO corn for years. There's just not a market for it around here. And so, while you have these projects, this non-GMO verified project. Where are these people actually buying this in the grocery store? Because people speak louder with their their food dollars than their social media statuses. Um, I can say I'm buying non-GMO, but when it comes right down to it, when I'm in the store, I'm buying what's cheapest and what I want. Yeah, I'm generally buying what I want, and I really don't right. notice the label until after I get home, and I'm like, oh, hmm, yeah, really why did I buy that? Them, but yeah. Um, there's just the, around here, and I'm speaking for us. Um, I know that there are premiums other places, but that that non-GMO premium disappeared here in Central Indiana. There, there are probably some out there. Was it worth the effort? No, because honestly, on farm for storage and testing and making sure there's no contamination, it's not an easy job. No. Yeah, there's still a large area in eastern Iowa that hauls into Cedar Rapids that have you know fairly good non-GMO. Right. White yeah. corn, those types of things. Oh. Have to be farming in an area where you can have a market. Most definitely, yeah. So I think that brings me back to farmers grow what people want. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're here for. We It does. I mean, it's a business. I, people call it a lifestyle. I'm not saying it's not because it, it definitely is. But we're here to make money as well. I don't know when profit for farmers became a four-letter word. When you started feeding the world. I guess, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, the problem that we have is it, it all comes back down to, to being a a money grab to a certain extent. Um, would Cargill's products still sell if they didn't have the label? Yeah. Yeah. They would. Um, ADMs, obviously not. And maybe ADM was working on putting a, uh, something in place and, and they're like, <laughs> let's pump the brakes here a little bit. But the, and like I said, the, the weird thing is, is there's been several other groups out there who have decided to work with this, this group. Obviously, there are other major food producers out there that are working with the non-GMO project to verify their goods if there's 43,000 non-GMO verified labels out there. They're just not cheering about it in the wrong communities. Exactly. Um, the other thing that I found completely interesting is if you've watched Twitter and over the last couple of days, what was Cargill kind of all of a sudden became Cargill versus Monsanto. And it's yeah. been a fight between the two since that, that tweet had come out, which I find interesting. If you read any of like the GM watch or, you know, the pro non GMO sites, they're all like, oh, those Monsanto shills are coming out against Cargill and, uh, Cargo should be proud and, you know, big fight against Monsanto, blah, 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 which I, I just find it funny that they've, you know, pitted the two against each other from this whole one tweet. Well, the thing that's frustrating about it, and I can see why, is that Monsanto 
has really changed their direction when it comes to working with consumers and working with growers on explaining the the health benefits and the overall production benefits that can be um, captured when it comes to producing with GMO crops, you know, with what, you know, what, what it's done to help, um, with corn, with, uh, uh, limiting the amount of, of sprays you need, pesticides and, and other things. And so Monsanto has been out really working to try to educate the consumer and in one fall swoop, Cargill kind of gave the farmer who's working to educate the consumer, the finger and kind of put it back in their lap saying, you know, Hey, we're going to jump in bed with these folks that, um, have done nothing but vilify the use of, of GMO crop production for the last 10 years. Um, you know, good luck, have fun, see you later. And meanwhile, Monsanto's over here like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You've just taken everything that we're working for um, when it comes to opening up lines of communication and and com- letting the consumer know that even if there is a genetically modified ingredient in their food, they're safe. You know, Cargill giving strength or, or giving the microphone to the non-GMO project really kind of changes that that whole entire line of thinking. So I can see why Monsanto would come out and be a little ticked off about it. Who pulled Monsanto into this? I mean, was Monsanto it a farmer? Did. Was it a consumer? Oh, Monsanto pulled themselves into it? Yeah. Monsanto, and it, it, for good reason. They needed to get involved, um, you know, for everything that I just said. They, they've been working so hard um in trying to educate the consumer in my opinion they've brought people in specifically they uh, you know there's these other groups out there that are are working with gm ingredients that or gm crops that are working to try and and educate the consumer on their safety and to come in and and suddenly just jump in with someone who's claiming GM crops are unsafe, like Cargill did, gives them a platform to speak from. So I can understand why Monsanto would want to come in um, and and try to defend the farmer. That, and it always helps when the, to jump on the side of who's the most off. I thought one of the best tweets after all this came about was from Jared McDaniel. Um, He had said, maybe the time has come when producers must protect consumers from those people who are pretending to protect the consumers from the producers. Exactly. (laughs) Funny how everyone, you know, thinks that the farmers are out to get them. And I think part of the manufacturers and the processors kind of feed that line. You know, it's not the farmers out here. Like Jen said, you know, they're out here producing what their customers want. And in turn, those customers, you know, are trying to produce what the consumers want. And uh, it's just kind of interesting how we're all trying to, you know, protect the consumers from each part of the chain. Yeah, when the consumer really, when it all comes down to it, doesn't need to be protected from anything because science has proven the safety of GMOs. Exactly. Wow, look at you go. It goes back to the very same thing that we discussed, you know, three weeks ago. When you have no food, you have one problem. When you have a steady source of food supply, you have thousands of problems, that most of which are imagined. And yeah. and so that's the real issue that we have or the where it all comes down to it is totally understand that Cargill feels that the consumer is requesting access to knowing whether or not there are, are GMOs in their their product that they're eating. I get that that Cargill yeah. thinks are helping with that. Yeah. And I think that's focusing on Americans or and Canadians or or what I would consider more well-to-do off. What what will this do to um, 
What does this kind of thing do to exports? So the people in these starving countries are needing this GMO technology, but their governments are making these decisions and Americans are over here going, oh, GMO is terrible. We're verifying everything non-GMO. That's what, you know, because we consider that healthy. And so then they're not importing, you know, what they need to feed these starving people. I mean, yeah, I mean, it it takes away from that because well, it, it, it makes it look like there should be fear there when there really shouldn't be fear there. Same right. thing. We're protecting. I think that's my, yeah, I, I think that's a little bit my point is, is a lot of that is perception. Um, I think I've stated before that I heard someone say, you know, a lot of this stuff is they don't have access to GMOs um, and they don't trust them because of what they read on the internet. Yeah. Um, and so the people who are starving don't have the ability to say, we don't care. We want this food while the people who are making the decisions are reading the internet, seeing that we're verifying things non-GMO. Well, what on earth would make them want to import our GMO products? Exactly. It's it's a continued fear-driven process. And that's the problem that, you know, 99% of, of farmers who have issue with this development between Cargill and the non-GMO project have is that... They understand the consumer would love to have access to it because, of course, the consumer is is the buyer, you know, but when the reality comes down to it, we're telling the consumer they need this verification process. The consumer did not introduce this to themselves. This is not something that, you know, grew, for lack of a better term, organically overnight. um, and, And the consumer suddenly was requesting to know you know, have there been some? Yeah, there, there's been since the start of time. But to have it pick up speed, I think, has been more of a social media introduction, you know, and, and when it comes down to it, um, I don't know if it's really something that's that the average buyer is is really paying attention to. Um, I don't I, I, I've said before, I don't think they do. I think they walk in and they want to get groceries as fast and as cheap as they can and and walk out. Uh, at least I do. But I don't even want to walk in. I want them to bring them to my car. Well, I, okay, I agree with Karen. The whole Walmart bringing it out to your car. Hello. Ivy, Kroger's, they all do it now. Yes, it's it's Hello, we can now be best friends. It's just it. And that's so... But what do we do now that the horse is out of the barn? I mean, that's obviously the farmer is not going to get anywhere with explaining to Car- Cargill's just hoping this goes away. And that's... I had someone ask me... Um, you know, what do you think they'll do about this? Will this back, will they backtrack on it? And I don't think they will. Um, oh, I don't think they will either. What, Karen, you're the one who looked up uh, or found that there, this actually happened back in October. Is that what you said? And they didn't announce it until they, I- there was some small announcement or press release or something that must have been made in October from what I could figure out. Um, but, and I don't think that was, I mean, they do press releases all the time. I think the problem was the tweet itself. It was kind of bragging. It was, you right. know, and cheering so- themselves on, you know, at the expense of half their customer base. And I just, so I guess my point is they kind of dabbled in this and went into this earlier. The tweet was what caused the storm. Yes. Not because the actual obviously other companies, like Angie had said, are using the verification. They just didn't, you know, do a right. yay us little happy dance about it, you know, right at the beginning of National Agriculture Week, you know. 
Right, which, yeah, you'd, you'd have thought someone would have put a little more thought into that. But when you're right. removed from the – and I think that was that's the other secondary underlying issue is that many feel that these big ag businesses um, – and, again, it kind of goes back to our uh, um, mergers side of things. If you get too big, do you lose connection with your, your producer? And, and I think this was an indication that Cargill, to a certain extent, or at least one – one sector of Cargill's business is not aware of of a whole other portion of the business. Right. And that's that's I go back to, you know, is this in-house stuff? We're not working. They're not working together to figure out what's what's best for both sides of their company, the consumer side and the producer side. Well, and I think it highlights how very, very important the social media person actually is because they have the power right. to ruin everything. Yeah, in a 140 character tweet. Uh, right, and I I think you and I both looked up. We Cargill doesn't actually have a Facebook page. Is that what Not we determined? That I found. Um, so you have to kind of wonder what that. To me, I guess from a social media standpoint, what that would have done on Facebook um, as opposed to the tweet. Would there have been a different reaction on Facebook? I would say. Not as many farmers would have seen it on Facebook. Right. And that that was my assumption, too, is is it would have been more that maybe that kind of announcement would have gone over so much better without the storm on Facebook than it did on Twitter, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, that's Twitter, I think, is is uh, a bit of a different. I don't know. Clicky. Twitter's like Fight Club, man. I don't know. Like you're either in Twitter or you're not in Twitter and and uh um, and you don't discuss Twitter outside of Twitter. Well, because anyone who's not on Twitter doesn't get it anyway. I mean, you... Right. Well, I don't know. That tweet must have gone a little bit farther because I saw some other tweets where they were saying their local feed guy was asking them about the tweet. Yeah. Because <laughs> they weren't on Twitter. So, you know, I think it goes a little bit farther than you want. But, you know, I, I don't think they... They must not have expected so many actual producer farmers to be... To see that tweet. Well, March which, which means that they don't uh, have a handle on who their followers are. Well, and it was released yeah. on a Friday, Friday morning, um, and it really didn't get much attention until a Saturday, and I really didn't see it until Monday or Tuesday of last week, and then it really started to pick up speed from there. Um, which I guess is how something that goes viral, which this, to a certain extent, this would be kind of a viral tweet type experience, um, is it's very slow. And then all of a sudden it, it gets legs and, um, yeah, it depends on who gets a hold of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, when it comes down to it, uh, I think they, for one, they went about it wrong. Um, if you want to work with this group, I don't have a problem. I, I, there's a demand in the market for non-GMO. They state there is. If there is, that's fine. But you really need to put your money where your mouth is when it comes to clarifying your stance on G- the use of GMOs in, in production agriculture, and as well as uh, clarifying that they are safe. I mean, I think that's where my biggest frustration comes from is is I get that that they believe the consumer is is requesting or, or requiring or whatever it may be the the reason behind the damn label. I if that's what they believe, then that's fine. But they also need to to help the farmer 
communicate the safety of the product that the farmer is growing. I mean, we we can't sit here and, and allow a group who vilifies GMOs to work with a company whose biggest, you know, the biggest group of, of inbound customers are producing with GMOs. Flat out. Right. You know. I would agree. Yeah, there should have been a much better strategy to uh to what they put out there. Exactly. So I think you know, from an overall standpoint, I think this kind of, like we've we've beat this poor dead horse. You know, unfortunately, I don't think there's much that's going to change other than we just need to continue to educate the consumer a on the lesser presence of GMOs in their food supply than what's thought. I mean, I think that's the the biggest thing that we could push out there is that there isn't a GMO strawberry. Um, you know, you don't. It's like we talked about in in our GMO podcast is it's, it's, we're, it's not mad scientists um, injecting fish oil into raspberries. You know what I mean? This isn't, we're not eating Franken food. Um, And, and I think that's the, the biggest point of contention that, that a lot of folks have is, is that this group that, that Cargill is partnering with wants you to believe that you're eating Franken food. Mm Mm-hmm. So anything else you guys would like to add before we wrap it up for the week and uh, look forward to, to next week's discussion? Good luck to Cargill and trying to get their reputation back with the grower. <laughs> Godspeed. It took Maybe Monsanto. to pull out those NFL football phones like Angie wants. I really there want one of those. I still do. I don't care. Um. So yeah, Jen, anything you'd like to add? No, I'm good. Is your Pez all gone? Actually, my Pez, I'm down to the lemon. I don't like lemon. Ew. It's like a last resort. Honestly, so, I don't know how yeah. you eat Pez anyway. It's like eating flavored straight, chalk. Straight out of the package, man. Nope. So disgusting. Straight out of the package. It's really gross. But this is coming. And are your Pez non-GMO verified? If not, you, you know, really shouldn't oh, be. damn. Them. I know. Did you check? They are naturally flavored. What does that even mean? I guess that's another conversation for another day. I don't know. Naturally Check back flavored. in a week or so. We'll see what I'm talking I'm about. I'm going to check back. I still am waiting to hear from the non-GMO verified project where what they do with their revenue. I'm interested in that. That I'll is very interesting because they've brought it. They bring in a lot of money. It's quite a chunk of money. It's quite a chunk of money. Yes. Um. So, but I'm still waiting to hear. They're not answering me. Don't hold your breath, so. honey. So, all right. all right. Well, as always, we really appreciate you guys listening in. Um, we are definitely looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the subject at hand and your thoughts on what we should talk about in the, the weeks ahead. Um, definitely tune in again next week. And uh, we will be talking about way cool things with really funny anecdotes, I guess. Right. I don't know. But or facts pulled out of your ass like Jen, that's. That's what we're all good for. At the very least, all we right. can give you some fake news. So, as always, we thank you for tuning in and uh, have a great day. <laughs>